Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Fighting on Film, the podcast about classic and obscure war movies, from the Normandy landings to the days of chivalry and swords. If it's been captured on film, we're going to cover it. I'm Matthew Moss of Historical Firearms and the Armourers Bench. I'm Robbie of RA Military History. Welcome back to another episode of Fighting on Film. This week we have a special treat. We're looking at not one, but two films. We are looking at Bravo 2-0 and The One That Got Away. Now, these are both films about the same event, which took place 30 years ago, during Operation Granby, otherwise known as Desert Storm, the Gulf War. This is going to be a kind of a little bit of a different episode to what we normally do. We're going to do a little bit of compare and contrast and see how the films sort of depart from each other on what they're actually covering. And we'll still do Ali Tally. Fave scenes, Ali Tally. Yeah. But we're going to do it twice, because why not? Yeah, but we'll, we'll try and keep it brief, but we'll try and get through as much as we can. Well, both films cover a lot of the same ground. So they do, they do. It's the only way we could really tackle these two. And, you know, you can't talk about one without talking about the other, really. No, you can't. You'll see why when we start going into it. But I thought we'd kick off by talking about the cast of each film. Yeah. Should we explain what Bravo 2-0 actually is first? Yes. Um, so Bravo 2-0 is a uh, SAS mission just outside Baghdad um, mm. in 1991. And uh, they are tasked with um, finding an MSR, which is a main supply route, and seek out and cut a fiber optics cable so that the Iraqi high command can't uh, get in contact with their SCUD missiles that are firing into Israel. They're basically SCUD hunting, aren't they? SCUD hunting, yeah. And that that, would be a cool cool name for the film. (laughs) Yeah, why why didn't they go, yeah, damn. Um, so Bravo Two Zero is uh, basically the patrol's actual call sign. That's it. Um, there's a couple of patrols that went out, and they're all gone. They've all um, gone from uh, B Squadron, SAS Regiment. Yep. Um, so it's that's what the Bravo stands for. 
and then the 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 two zero is it's their patrol number two. Yep. And um, so basically, that's that's where it comes from. They're dropped off by a helicopter, so they're inserted by a heli, and then they tab to the MSR and they're looking for uh, an OP. They're looking to set up like an observation point, aren't they? To like that's it, yeah. keep an eye on the road and see what's going past and try and like work out where these scuds are. Mm-hmm. Because it comes a little bit in a little bit later on, we should say that about a third of the scuds that Iraq were, were launching at the time were aimed at Israel yep. in an effort to bring Israel into the war, which would have destabilized the sort of NATO slash Arab coalition. Both movies feature this mission and they were both turned into best-selling books after. One mm-hmm. that got away was Chris Ryan's book and Brother Two Zero was Andy McNabb's book. And obviously since both men have gone on to be authors, historical advisors, documentary makers, public speakers, they've really built a big career off of these books. They're what we think of when we think ex-SAS figureheads, I assume, I think, in a way. Yeah, I mean, I, when these films came out, I was probably, I was, I don't know, like five. Right, yeah. I was like two and six i remember i remember staying up and watching it when i was nine i remember like watching like the first one i don't remember the torture scenes in the second one maybe i didn't watch the second one but i do remember like the main climactic scene in in the first part of it so they're basically tv movies aren't they they're a little bit more than that they're big budget tv movies they're big budget for the time um my first introduction to chris ryan was when i read strike back when i was on holiday when i was like 13 14 Mm -hmm. and it's very gung-ho you know, you can see the yeah. You can see the parallels in some of the the bits in these films. So Andy McNabb was the patrol leader. Sergeant Stephen Mitchell is his is his real name. That's his real name, yeah. Um, and then we have Chris Ryan, who was uh, a corporal. He was corporal. He is Corporal Colin Armstrong, yep. but his pen name is Chris Ryan. I think it was Chris Ryan's book that was published first. His film, the one that got away, was produced first and came out first, didn't it? Followed by Bravo Two Zero in. 1999. So Bravo 2.0 was BBC production and one that got away was an ITV production. For your casting, Bravo 2.0 has got Sean Bean, Sharp himself, um, in the lead role as Andy McNabb. And then it has Kevin Collins as Chris Ryan. But that actor sort of, he's never been in anything big. I'd say Bravo 2.0 was the biggest thing he's been in. He doesn't have a lot to do in the movie anyway, really. No, he he doesn't, no. Um, So maybe that's why he's a bit bit of a lesser known um and fans of the pod will recognize uh, richard graham who plays digger the uh, australian sas um member in the in the um brother two zero um as a royal marine from ungentlemanly act so that's a nice little <laughs> nice little um i didn't even i didn't even notice to be honest yeah yeah i was like i know that face i know that <laughs> face so I, I i had to look it up and then one that got away Features Paul McGann as Chris mm-hmm. Ryan. Uh, he's from Withland and I, Monocle Mutineer. Very, very well-known face. Hornblower, of course. He was in Hornblower too. Hornblower, yes. So they're both coming from Napoleonic War heritage behind them in their production histories. And then David Morrissey plays Andy McNabb in um, One That mm. Got Away. And he is uh, quite well-known. Most recently, I think I saw him in The Walking Dead. He also played a version of the Doctor in a Doctor Who episode. One of the Christmas specials. Did he? David Morrissey? He did, yeah. He played a man who thought he was the Doctor. Oh, okay. And Paul McGann famously p- did play the Doctor once. There's a nice little reference oh, there. Okay. little cross-reference there. We, we do movie trivia on this pod. <laughs> we try to. There's quite a bit of movie trivia with this one. So the director of The One That Got Away is actually 
you know, quite well known. It's Paul Greengrass. Yeah. So he's done the Bourne movies, United 93, Green Zone. He went on to big, big things, basically. He did. And he's known for that sort of shaky cam style, mm-hmm. the, uh, the handheld cameras. And you can definitely see it in One That Got Away. It's very, it's a lot more, I'd say One That Got Away is more visceral. Yes. In in the in the terms of the shots, it's very raw. It, it, it It's more basic, struck, like a basic look. It feels, it, to me, the way I would very basely describe it would be as being slightly more arty in its, its cinematography and approach. I think you're right. There's more lingering shots. The way it's shot is slightly more, I suppose, art housey. In that, there's definitely some metaphorical things going on with some of the shots. Yeah, yeah. So you know, there's like over the shoulder shots of him looking at the billboard towards the end, and mm. um, the oh yeah, the yeah. trek up to the fence, the border fence is a good shot too. There's a few really interesting things, and then obviously uh, with Bravo Two Zero, it's a little bit more sort of shot in like a blockbustery type. It's more Hollywood. Mm, and that was directed by uh, Tom Clegg, who has a history of doing sort of not unfamiliar with action because he he, no. uh, he filmed a classic British uh, cop show, The Sweeney. He did. Uh, Space 1999. And he also later directed a lot of episodes of Sharp. Interesting, because of the Sean Bean connection there. So he would have known Sean Bean quite well. Definitely. The writer of this one is uh, Troy Kennedy Martin, who is really famous for... Kelly's heroes exactly his way of writing banter and, and and writing soldiers that we we all said way back in the episode of Peter Caddick Adams if you haven't listened to it please go back and listen to it it's an absolute cracker but yeah the banter is there you know you feel like they're a unit more yeah than yeah. one that got away it tries too hard to sort of point the finger at certain people whereas Bravo 20 I would say is a more accurate representation of an SAS unit of a unit in general I would say like there's yeah. banter, there's jokes. Um, like one of the first things you see is like someone puts a uh, a breeze block in someone's bag and then they end up taking it all the way to Q8. You know, so. there's more squaddy humour in it, and and it feel it feels more true. They feel more like real people, and you also I think the bigger budget probably allows them to, but you get to see them pre-mission. Mm. Mm. One guy's getting drunk before he goes out and all that, so you you just feel like they're more human in a way. A more subtle sort of like introduction to the characters in the. You know, we we find out that they're friends. You know that they have banter, they're chatting. You know, there's there's a marked difference between the two films. I think in budget, um, and it, yeah. it's clear in in that the uh, the Bravo Two Zero movie has a lot of sort of um, music that's pop music, recognizable music, rather yeah. than um, the one that got away, which has more of a sort of like sparse sort of it's got more of a score isn't it it's, yeah it's more of a it's definitely more of a musical score than than a soundtrack in that respect but the bbc can use their their blanket licensing fee thing to to play all the the songs of the got their money's worth out of that one my god there's at least like you could probably put out like a a soundtrack album the bravo two zero soundtrack album the bravo two zero compilation album <laughs> featuring such hits as should i stay or should i go and God, what's the other one? There's like there's some like really random stuff in there. Like Daddy Cool is in there. <laughs> yeah, Desert DPM Classics, Desert DPM Discs. <gasps> oh yeah, I love it. Now that's what I call Desert Storm. <laughs> Gulf War Classics. Um, God, we sound like we sound like we're trying to get an audition on BFBS. Um, so for this one, I found two um, contemporary reviews um, from the time. I always love it when you dig these up. 
So I've got one for the one that got away. Feels fitting because the movie came out first. This review is a little bit scathing. It comes from Brian Reed, who was uh, the Daily Mirror's uh, TV and film critic at Mm. the time. And his headline for the review starts with Desert Prats at War. He's setting his stall out really early. He is. So we've got the one that got away was a brilliant, riveting film, but it was clear to see why the SAS didn't think so. The Iraqis were portrayed as a shower of wide-eyed, incompetent bandits in Catherine Cooks and headscarves who shot into the air yelling Allah. The hero, Paul McGann, who spent days walking 200 miles across Iraq with virtually no food or water in extreme temperatures, pursued by 1,600 soldiers, arrived back at Camp Tanned, unable to walk straight away with a few dodgy scabs around his mouth. I didn't know Club 1830 went to the Gulf, did you? Wow, it's pretty, pretty negative, isn't it? And then he's got, like, in, you know, like when they section off a bit and it's got a word, it's just got in um, bold, dodgy. Wow. Okay. Mm. Any rating? Is there a rating to it? No, there's no rating on it. But I looked at later on at the TV guide and it gave it like four stars. <sighs> I wouldn't say it's dodgy. Now I'm going to, I'm going to lay it out now before you do the next one. I, I haven't read either book. No, I haven't either. Um, so I can't comment on how accurate the adaptation from the book to the movie is. There's a lot of controversies anyway with both. That books. kind of put me off because I was never, I've never really been someone that's gone in for like the whole special forces, like um, big expose books, you know, like the guy that wrote the one about uh, killing Osama bin Laden, etc. They've never really done much for me. No. But I must say, I did enjoy both films in different ways. Yeah, I like that. I like them for the for what they were. Yeah. You know, and now I'll read out the uh, the Bravo 2-0 review. Daily Mirror again. It's a different reviewer this time. And here's the funny thing. McNabb is shown to be cool-headed, unflinching, and totally in control, while Ryan is a vain, self-obsessed, whinging moaner. Well, they do say the first casualty of war is truth. Now, I'm not one to name drop, but I met McNabb once at a party, and he didn't much look like Sean Bean to me. Hmm. So there you go. So that's that's hinting at the, you know the sort of rivalry that is apparent between the two of them yeah yeah and that and that is a weird thing because i think and now we'll probably talk more about the plot really oh yeah interestingly enough both films filmed in south africa yes it's very odd same story for the movies pretty much same locations well not locations but the same country filmed in I mean, it may well have been some of the same locations. It's difficult to tell because a yeah. lot of it, a lot of the one that got away is in the dark. They've obviously been uh, trained by the same uh, South African military advisors. Yeah. Uh, because they have a lot of the same um, kit, a lot of the same rifles, grenade launchers. Yeah. And um, like machine guns as well. So you can tell that they have, they have the same armorer or that the, the, the film's armor has drawn the same guns from the same armory. Um, possibly yeah 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 that that certainly hints at the sort of difference between the two movies in approach and tone McNabb and ryan um, are advisors on their respective movies mm. so obviously their influence is coming in as well they're going to toe the line their book follows you know they're not going to put in anything different i assume you do get two very interesting films out of it though don't you definitely so i think mm. the thing with it is that McNabb is trying to sort of justify his role in the mission and explain that the reason why the mission was a failure wasn't necessarily his or anyone else in the team's fault. No, it was the fact they got split up. Yeah. Whereas with Chris Ryan's sort of um, book and film, 
there's a little bit more of the blame game going on. So there's like, yeah, uh, we haven't yeah. got the right weapons. We haven't got the right intel. It's relatively negative towards McNabb. It is. It really and and the, and the the characterization as well, that and the lines that David Morrissey has to work with, mm. make him out to be like a bit of a mug. He doesn't come across as a competent platoon commander or, or section leader. He just doesn't because, you know, it, it shows him as being indecisive and McGann's sort of like visibly flustered at points where he's like, come on, make a decision. What are we going to do? Are we going to tab to yeah. Syria or are we going to try and get to the heli point? What are we doing? He even mentions, oh, can we take vehicles? He goes, oh, we won't need them. We'll walk everywhere. Every sort of thing that Chris has an issue mm. with, Morrissey can rebuttal really quickly. But flippantly. Sorry, McNabb. Yeah, really flippant. Mm. And even when you're first introduced to McNabb in it, you're sort of introduced in a way, um, this is talking about one that got away, by the mm. way, um, not to confuse listeners. McNabb is almost introduced as if Ryan's never met him before, which I don't, I didn't like that sort of way. It introduced the character for me. And then McNabb goes, oh, this will be a simple one, lads. We'll come back and get some medals. Yeah, yeah. There's a medal in this for us, lads. He shouts towards the end, doesn't he? There's a medal in this for us, lads. See now we'll we'll never know the actual reality of of what no. were the causes. So that doing a little bit of reading around it, uh, noted that there, there was issues with comms, issues with weapons inventory, um, mm-hmm. issues with basic sort of like uh, standard operating procedures. Like when they got separated, they didn't circle back around and try and meet up again, and that kind of thing. There's certain things that the SAS and soldiers in general are trained to do that didn't take place from the accounts that are available. I mean, there's loads of reasons why that might not have happened. You know, the, the adverse weather, they weren't expecting it. Apparently it was like the coldest winter in Iraq for 30 years. Yeah, exactly. I mean, well, one of the lads did die of frostbite. Two of them, in fact. Like one died during the firefight from hypothermia and one, an older member of the, the platoon. That's another thing just to jump onto briefly. No, it's fine. It's difficult to sort of, of keep a, a straight linear flow on this one because it's two yeah. movies. We'll try. We'll try and steer it as best we can, but it's 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 patchy. It's gonna it's gonna meander a little bit. So one of one of the uh, the members of the patrol is slightly older than the rest, and he's he's basically waiting out his for his retirement's coming up. Is what's highlighted in both movies, uh, and in the portrayal in the one that got away, he's shown as being almost sort of like senile and not knowing what the hell's going on at one point. In reality, that guy was thirty six. That that kind of threw me. I I didn't understand. The actor's clearly in his like mid forties, yeah. or like late, late, later than thirty six at least. And I can understand that he was suffering from hypothermia, and that was impacting his judgment. I think his family also weren't particularly pleased with that portrayal in the no, first movie because in uh, Bravo Two Zero, he's he's much more um, favorably presented, and his name's changed. So Bravo Two Zero changes a lot of the men's names more. Chris Ryan got some flack for naming people as mm. well um, from my research as well. He did get some flack well, for that. Especially so. when he's going under a under a pseudonym himself. That's kind of... Yeah. There's a lot of like sort of things that you go, hmm, what? Really? You know, all the way through both movies, not from a sort of a moviegoer point of view, but also from like someone who is interested in the history mm. of it. You're sort of like, well, would you have done that? Really? Like, what are you doing? And then when you compare the two, you're like, well... Where's the truth? Because it it probably lies somewhere in the middle. But how the, you know, how in the heck well, there's, did? There's been a number of books and documentaries made about this mission. So for non-British listeners, it's kind of in the pantheon of 
of British military history now, especially within the special forces niche. It's quite well known. If you say Bravo to Zero, most people are going to have a brief idea. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's a Gulf War. It even gets referenced in British sitcoms as well. There's a throwaway line in um, one of the Alan Partridge episodes where they mention Bravo to Zero. And looking through like old newspaper archives to find those reviews, I found like, you know, McNabb's book breaks one million copies sold and you know Chris Ryan's book is on the bestsellers list and there's like countless WH Smith and Woolworths adverts being like own the book and the video like you can buy them both here it was a big deal when it came out the books were big and the films were quite big as well they're probably still in print yeah the books are definitely still in print I don't know whether the movies are still on DVD or whatever but they're they're online but as I was saying there were numerous other documentaries and books written about and they all have sort of like different uh, conclusions about certain elements mm-hmm. that did or may not have happened. So it's almost impossible to sort of put together an idea of what actually did happen once the mission was scrubbed and they were t- trying to like escape. So a little bit more plot just to explain where we're at so they set up an op but they realize that they're right next door to a uh, iraqi anti-aircraft position mm-hmm. because iraq at that point had a massive anti-aircraft network of, of all kinds I of mean, stuff you would if you had the, the whole of the usaf breathing down your neck exactly um, um <laughs> but they they basically they've they've helied in tabbed to the msr set up an op and then like the next morning they've realized, oh shit, we're right next to an anti-aircraft battery, which is like a hundred Iraqi soldiers plus vehicles, etc. And yeah. at that point you would think we should definitely move. You should skedaddle out of here, shouldn't we really? So they have bad intel, they're underprepared, and they aren't equipped as they would like to be. So both films reference all three of those elements as being an issue with the, yeah. the mission from the outset. So at least that's one through line, you know, the locations aren't changed and things like that you know you can you could cut you know if you were if you were good at editing you could cut like a super cut of these movies and it wouldn't be out of place sort of mm. thing no no man is trying to say like well i say i was here and i was actually like 10 miles in the other direction you know and there's not they're not trying to say like the locations are wrong it's just what happened is well, there's, presented there's some confusion about how far they they walked from the the heli drop off to the msr mm. there's some confusion about that because in, in, in Bravo 2 Zero, they literally just drop right on it. Or more or less, yeah. And then... Would make sense why the helicopter took incoming and it had to drop them where they were dropped. That's a good point, yeah. I've forgotten about that. The the older guy goes, oh, look, there's an AA site right there. Mm. And then they're forced to set up their OP there. Whereas in one that got away, they sort of... They half kind of stumble upon it, but then they sort of don't because they walk up to an area and then they... They're in, they're in like a wadi, aren't they? And... They're stuck in there the whole day. And then eventually they get discovered by an Arab goat herder, a little boy, in both. And he goes and informs the AA battery. There's some suspicious looking lads in the wadi. This is where the shit hits the fan and everything falls apart. But from that point on, the two films begin to show everything. Completely differently. Even in the way that the lads discovered um, is completely different. Or that they're discovered, sorry. Not 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 the boy. Um, so the boy in Bravo 2 Zero he discovers the unit comes over and the older member of the, uh, of the squad, he's like, Oh, come here, look a bit of chocolate, you know, mm. like, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Bit of chocolate. Come on. Like trying to grab him. Yeah. Yeah. And then he runs off. 
but in one that got away, the old lad sort of is really stupid. He just, he looks up and then ducks, doesn't he? Yeah, he looks up for like a bit too long than he should and then ducks mm. down. Chris grabs him and's like, what'd you do that for? Did he see you? He's like, no, he didn't. He didn't see me. He didn't see me. And obviously they've been spotted. You know, either way, that guy's shown as being to blame. Yeah. As you said, that's when the, the stark differences start coming in. Yeah, so in, in Bravo 2.0, there's the whole bit where there's they hear like the impending noise of a vehicle and it turns out to be a bulldozer. Um, whereas in the one that got away, it's immediate contact. Like the Iraqis are immediately coming for them. Yeah, they they, they turn up on that ridge line, mm. don't they? Um, and start making contact. Whereas in Bravo 2.0, Sean's like, right, everyone get together. We're going to start. Tab into the heli site. Hopefully, if we get further away, they might think that we're one of their patrols. Yes. Yeah. And then they make contact because obviously the Iraqis don't think they're one of their patrols. No. That kind of makes more sense. They engage a number of APCs that are, approach them um, from a from a ridgeline. They lose their bergens, their backpacks, um, during the retreat. They open up, lay down fire, and then they they run as fast as they can in the opposite direction, and then dogleg back. So they aren't expected to be on the path that they look like they're going to be on. The drills of Bravo Two Zero look more accurate to me. We don't really see them moving much in the one that got away. No, we don't. They don't. But when they do make contact, it's a lot more, this is how, or at least the movie's trying to show you how an SAS unit would attack an armoured section. There's issues with um, one that got away where they have law anti-tank launches on them but they're not used then in later on in the movie chris ryan just happens to have one when he needs one yeah it's annoying from sort of a movie thing because you're like well he didn't have that on his backpack yeah that's true but then when you're looking at it from a historical standpoint you're like well if you say you drop your burger and you didn't have it mm. on you at that point then you do have your law on you at the end to make contact yeah. then that's where the there's some this is like a massive like map of like issues and problems there, there is and like sort of like disconnects from one another and what would probably have happened and it's a combination of both the two separate different approaches to the plot or the event, and then probably the difficulties of production and filming a film. McNabb or Ryan's not going to let you go, well, hang on, let me just grab a copy of the rival book just to check how they done mm. it. They aren't going to let you do that, well, are no. they? Well, if you, if you were you know, being the advisor on a movie and you'd sold the rights to someone, you would believe in that product anyway. So you're not going to cross-reference with what Chris said or what Andy said. No. Vice versa. Even if, you know, even if you were thinking of doing it, you know, they're, not going to, they're probably not going to let you. The movie after the firefight section, the two movies take a completely separate path. So one that got away concentrates on Ryan and his um, his tab to Syria. 200 kilometre march to, to the Syrian border, and the two groups get split off. Mm-hmm. And that's the nice thing about these two films, that they show the two halves. We see McNabb's version of events, or what he experienced in Robert 2.0, and then the one that got away, we see what uh, Ryan experienced in his, his, his walk yeah. to Syria. In Bravo 2.0, when they get split up, they're trying to... Con- they think they hear a helicopter or a plane overhead. So they try and contact it on their radio. Sean Bean, Andy McNabb goes, let's all convene here sort of thing. We'll call up that that aircraft or whatever it mm-hmm. was just to see if they can find us and double back on us, like wait here. And obviously because of the wind and the rain, Chris Ryan's little section at the front doesn't hear them. So they walk yeah. off. 
but then in one that got away, they they sort of just turn around and they're not there. Yeah. So you see it from Chris Ryan's perspective of they turn around and they're not there. It's not yeah. really a resolution. Whereas in Bravo Two Zero, you're like, oh, okay, that makes sense because obviously it was it was windy. They couldn't hear you. With the one that got away, you kind of think, what? What? Where did they go? And I'm like, but you were turning around every like two seconds to like look behind you, and like cover your six. Exactly. You would. You. Yeah. You're checking your intervals, aren't you? You're making sure. Yeah. It's... Oh, it just there's too much sort of leeway sometimes, and you have to sort of dispend belief a little bit with it with with either film. It gets confusing. Um. So yeah, Bravo Two Zero. Then you're just concentrating purely on Sean uh, McNabb. Sorry, McNabb's experiences. Then then it's completely with Chris. So with with McNabb, you have uh, three or four guys. So it's the majority of the patrol, mm-hmm. um, and they continue on with the plan. They're feeling the effects of the you know the exposure and the hunger because they've left their beggars behind. They have nothing with them. Um, although in both films, it does show that that one guy going back to get his flask, and they basically decide that they're going to hijack a vehicle and make for the Syrian border. And that's shown in one that got away as well which I think is really odd. I mean, I know I'm going further on, but we, can't, we sort of have to, to talk we about do. them both. Um, so Bravo to Zero, you don't get any of Chris's story at all, right up until the end, yeah. when he sort of, you get a little shot of him walking to Syria and he's like, oh, I've nearly made it. Yeah, he's kind of mumbling to himself, complaining, isn't he? And, and that's it. Yeah, there's no, there's no effort really to show no. the story, which is understandable because McNabb wasn't there. He wasn't there to see it. But then... In one that got away, it also has a, has its own section showing the events of McNabb's party. Yes. So, although it's much more, uh, it's brief. It's, yeah, it's 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 more of a summary of what happened. Like you do see them in the prison. You do well. You do see them get captured at the the, the checkpoint. Yeah, you do. Um, and you. Sorry, it's just an odd conclusion because I'm saying, well, Chris Ryan didn't know any of this then, so he's getting probably getting all that from secondary sources. They would have all debriefed and he would have heard and spoken to other members of the patrol that survived later and gotten an idea of what happened to them. So we could include that in the book and the film. It's just confusing, isn't it? Because you're just like, well, then one film doesn't even bother with another man. And then the other film bothers with both. Mm. Although to a much lesser degree, the, the representation of Ryan. Yeah. But then one that got away uses the sections with McNabb in to show McNabb as being an inept leader. So then, then, then they're the issues that come, and you're like, well, actually, are you just are you including them just to have a go at the person that you don't like anymore? Well, it doesn't show any sort of um, overt torture either. It's just them in a rough shape in custody. Yeah, and then you have got that bit at the end where he's like, "We'll come back, lads, and we'll bloody have them." And it's like it's done for like it's sort of done in the sort of cringy way. Yeah, I, it's not the best of scenes, and it could no. have could have been written and handled better i think that part mcnab is just shown to be like a bit of a fool it's not it's not a generous portrayal of of him or basically anyone in the in the film really no and then bravo two zero i've said it before but like bravo two zero portrays chris as just an average guy doesn't yeah there's no malice sort of thing no despite it being made after the fact yeah and even um at the end sean bean says oh well done chris mm. he got back and I'm like, well, then, where's the beef, mm. then, guys? Come on! It seems it 
it seems kind of one-sided or perhaps McNabb took the high road possibly ah uh, yeah no there is a maybe point there. there maybe there was disagreement um or fallout and, and McNabb just basically took you know the, the high road on that one and yeah didn't want to criticize Ryan and basically you can also put it down to Ryan is commentating on who he thinks is responsible for the mission failure yeah and yeah. Basically, yeah. McNabb was the patrol commander, so some of the mm. some of the responsibility, if not you know the blame, sits with him, and perhaps that's how Ryan sort of framed it within his own mind, because there's also yeah, the gung ho major who's basically giving them their intel, and he's very much like we're trying to get we're trying to get B squadron out there, and we're going to get medals, and you know, yeah, in both movies they're portrayed as a bit of a very sort of Officers of their era, I would say. Yeah, they're very Rupert. Yeah, they're very like, oh, don't worry, chaps, mm. you'll be back within the hour for tea and biscuits. You know, they're very sort of that kind of officery class, aren't they? So you can see that McNabb and Ryan had beef with like officer class, I think. Yeah, I think they both probably resented the fact that the mission wasn't properly prepared. Both movies do portray that, I think. So we don't want to get bogged down in the ifs and the whats and the whys. Um, so shall we do some good old alley tally? We've got plenty to talk about anyway. We have. Let's get into it. It's time for Ali Tally on Fighting on Film. So, Matt, Ali Tally this week. Um, I think it's a little bit more strong than last week's. Yeah, I, there's some interesting stuff here, and it's not all because it's special forces gear. Some of it's interesting in that it's what they had on hand when they were filming it, I think. To start with, shall we cover one that got away Ali first? Yeah. So in terms of in terms of weaponry, um it seems that the the guns were drawn from um the same armory, same armorer. Well it says at the end of um one that got away with special thanks to the South African Defence Force. Right, okay. So it possibly came from there their armories so we're looking at basically a lot of uh what are supposed to be m16 a1 or a2s i'm not sure because they all have the under barrel grenade launcher shroud and they're all supposed to be m203 40 millimeter grenade launchers mm-hmm. um but they don't they don't quite look the same because you can tell by the scallop of the way that the m203 attaches at right. the rear and there's also like a, a striker lever or indicator on what they have Mm -hmm. and what they have is a 37 millimeter um flare launcher which is kind of like a civilian legal version that doesn't fire low velocity grenades um (laughs) so they look almost identical and they they both have that sort of like um push forward barrel that you pop around and you close up um and they're all focused they're all sprayed up desert yeah yeah and i think the spray jobs differ between the two so it looks like yeah they do i think they they've do. redone at some yeah. point if the guns are exactly the same they're both wearing desert dpm yeah. which i think is really cool i love desert dpm i think it's one of the best camouflage designs we ever had i just think it looks really cool it does especially when it's like paired with green 58 pattern webbing <laughs> oh i mean yeah i mean come on i mean what you know any fans of my twitter account will see that i went a bit mad on gulf war sort of kit and weapons a few weeks ago That's at rm military history if you don't already follow robbie i bloody love <laughs> it um <laughs> so that's my sort of alley pick really for both 
you can cover sort of both. Um, yeah, they're both wearing pretty much the same gear, same weapons. Yeah. One cool thing is the the FM Minimis, the the like machine guns they have. One of them is an experimental model with an experimental sort of like stock that's angled weirdly. Ooh, apparently, I like it. Um, you definitely get more Mimi action in Bravo Two Zero than you do in one that got away. I think what it is there is Bravo Two Zero's bigger budget allowed them to replicate what the men actually had. There were three uh, Minimis, and then everyone else had M16s with two or three grenade launches underneath barrels. Um, so you do get more of probably an accurate idea of their loadout. Although mm. in Bravo 2.0, in one of the scenes where they are trying to get through that checkpoint, one of the lads, his mini-me basically turns into an FN mag. That's one that got away. Is it? Oh, my, that's my mistake. Yeah, that's Bob. It is. That, that that's is Bob. It's Bob. And he's sort of like on a railway track or something. Yeah, and he's and he dropped down and he's putting a belt into a that's it. Well, like yeah, as you say, an FN, mm. and, it, and it looks like a you know. I was like, is that Jimpy? What the fuck's happened there? See, I'm getting my getting my Bravo Two Zero movies mixed up. The issue is we've got the alley tally this week. The guns are the same, and the the fatigues are the same. Although in Bravo Two Zero, they hold on to their burgans way longer, which makes more sense for certain bits. Yeah, I think that's because they change the time scale in which they are breaking contact significantly that makes sense um, so in bravo to zero it's shown a lot more i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't visit other leading job sites so if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. You see more of them in that sort of initial breaking contact segment. Yeah, yeah. And then obviously you've got a bit in one that got away later on where Chris Ryan takes on a, um Iraqi APC on his own mm. and an Iraqi truck. Um, yeah, knocks it out with the law, and then proceeds to go around the back of it and shoot all the men inside. And what kind of what kind of truck would that be that he took out with the law, Robbie? The the most alley piece of kit in the whole film. Well, yeah, of course. So in one that got away, it's sort of it's too dark, and you can't really make out what the truck is. But in Bravo Two Zero, when they make their initial contact, the Iraqis pull up in a Bedford RL, and I was you know very very happy. Because if you fan of the pod, you know that I love Bedfords. <laughs> So the 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 alley tally was for me this week was Bravo two zero with not only its Bedford inclusions it's got Bedford RLs and J fives which is like you barely ever see a J five I was, was quite impressed unfortunately the RL gets knocked out by law which made me sad because you know Bedford RLs don't have a good track record with films in the wild geese they get blown up as well I mean that's a great way to go out it's a waste of a law but it's a great way to go out also Bravo two zero has got a BMP which is really good. It does. Um, And there's a great scene where he throws uh, what looks like a white foss grenade in the back of it. 
Yeah, that's digger. The Australian, which is you know quite um quite the thing. It's it's nice. You see him like counting off the fuse, and then he throws it in. Yeah, so I must assume that like there must have been like three or four Iraqi guys that did not want to come out and brave the the charge of brave the sass. Yeah, the charge of Sean Bean and the lads, which exactly. we'll come to in a minute, I'm sure. So yeah, so one that got away. That's pretty much it for Ali, really. Um, there's a lot less kit in the one that got away. There's a lot less kit in it, and there's a lot less shots where you see it up close. I'm not disputing whether Chris Ryan did what Chris Ryan said. That's not what this pod's for. But there's a bit where he's trying to sort of like get the M203 grenade launcher open and it's cold. I, I quite like that inclusion because it, it showed that he's getting affected by the, the weather. Yeah, that's true. But then did you think that both movies, I mean, you're the, the you're the firearms expert on this pod. Did the movie portray the M203 accurately? Uh, with Rather 2-0, it's kind of weird because it gives it an almost sort of like bazooka-esque so when they're mm. at the range zeroing, which is a nice inclusion as on its own. You know? Yeah, there's a GIF on the Twitter account I made of that. Please go and check it out. Zeroing at the range before heading out on patrol was, was a nice inclusion. Um, it kind of gives it an effect of like a rocket launcher. Yes. Uh, whereas it's not, it's a low velocity grenade. It's it's an M79. It's a thumper. It's thump. Whereas in uh, Robert Two Zero, it's like... <laughs> and it's sort of like, yeah, you do get a bit of a weird sound mm, effect, on and it. that's because they're basically firing flares. I think it's it's a flare launcher. It's a thirty-seven mil. So they launcher. use like blank flares or something. It's a pyro thing. So it, it's not sort of the best representation of a of an M two hundred three forty mil grenade launcher at that point yeah. in like 96 is one that got away. You didn't really see them that often in films. No, no. But then also I've got that um, Bravo 2-0 has a really good use of laws. There's a lot of laws in it. Yeah, in fact, like in the, in that first contact, the first shot is just a law coming out of nowhere. It is, yeah. They try and, well, they hit the BMP twice, don't they? Um, which is doctrine though, because if you watch, you know, any sort of BAOR fans or, or ex-BAOR people listening will know if you've watched Soviet Encounter, the quite famous British Army training film from like the late 80s, your point is to try and get a BMP to deploy its troops. You're, you're breaking their momentum of attack. You're forcing them to deploy. You're slowing them down. So, and that would make sense as well, where when the British army did go into the Gulf, we ha- we were on a sort of trying to stop an invasion of the Russians through Germany tactics. So it sort of makes sense why they would want to knock out the BMP first anyway. Well, Jesus, you would want to knock the BMP out, wouldn't you? I mean, like... Well, it's got, it's got its 30 minutes, it's got its big cannon. Yeah, exactly. It? So it makes complete sense. and Which somehow keeps on firing, even well, though... Well, maybe. I mean, that's why they hit it twice. So the first one sort of like hit the driving compartment and the second one... Hey, possibly. You know, they, they put another one into it to stop the gun. Yeah. But yeah. there's a lot of gratuitous shots of that cannon going off and it's clearly the same shot, like repeat, yeah. repeated. Yeah. Some other interesting stuff that appears in Bravo 2-0. There's a 40 mil Orlican. Yeah, there is. Uh, with the yeah. uh, the Iraqi AA battery. And a Bofors as well. Oh, it might have been a Bofors, actually. I might be getting mixed up. But no, I think it is. It's a 40 mil Bofors. Yeah, which is really cool to see. Just a Bofors in a sort of non-World War II movie was, was really nice to see. I think there's also... Um... Check Beezer on the checkpoint. They're right there, really blink and you'll miss it. Check Beezer. Really odd inclusion. Like, sort of, you never see them out of like out of Churchill tanks. You do never you? see them in anything, really. No. But yeah, God Check Beezer. That was interesting. God knows how they got him. And then the only sort of non alley weapon alley this week, I quite like the taxi in uh, Bravo 2 Zero. Mm-hmm. The old Chevy, the 55 Chevy taxi is quite nice. Sean being behind the wheel. All the lads calling shotgun. Yeah, definitely. Gun in it, yeah, and he's like, "How'd you work this bloody thing?" You know, it's like quite funny. 
how do you work it, mate? I quite like it. Yeah, he's he's Yorkshire in that movie, pure. But Andy McNabb was born in Southwark in London. What you could have, could you not have asked Sean to try a London accent? I mean, Sean, interestingly, with Sharp, the character is supposed to be from London. It's supposed to be from like the East End as well. In Sharp, he should have had like a bit of a Cockney or like a, a London accent going on, but he didn't. He just you know went for like slightly slightly RP. Yorkshire accent sort yeah, of thing. more clipped. It's definitely more mm. clipped. But in this, he's definitely much more guttural, which I think he's trying to like do tough NCO. He's really good in it, though. You know, I, reckon, no, I, like I, I really like both performances. I like uh, Sean and Paul's performances. McGann does sort of serious mm. brooding quite quite well. He does. You know, both movies have um, mocked up vectors as well. Uh, mocked up the look up as AKs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can you can spot that from the the five five six mag profile in some of those like night shots you can definitely tell so yeah i mean apart from that i've not got anything else for ali this week that's about it really um chris has got a weird german which looks like a german field cap in both films actually that appears but he's only wearing it for like a split second i thought either that's chris written wrote in the book oh i bought my german field cap with me or you know they've seen it in Bravo Two Zero. They've seen it in one that got away. I'm like, oh, we have to have you in that cap. Yeah, I think he does mention what he had on him because he talks about his boots not being army issue. Ah, uh, that's it. Yeah. Well, then that would be Ali, wouldn't it? That'd be genuine Ali. And then Chris Ryan also says that apparently he wore a desert smock or a Denison smock. Yeah, possibly. But then there's no evidence to back that up. So either he had it in his burger and got it out later. Who knew? Um, who I knows? don't know. I've seen accounts where it says like they all were wearing like. Um, 40s stock like desert smocks I mean it wouldn't it wouldn't be out of the realms of possibility because there's even there's like 70s BAOR um, and 80s BAOR training films that show some people in certain roles wearing smocks yeah I mean and it's also also infinitely possible that they just thought they were like holdovers from the North Africa campaign where in fact like yeah maybe they did they're like they were 60s production Harris smocks, and they just assumed they were that old, you know. Who knows? Yeah, they could have been like Mountain Parkers, couldn't they? Just like really sun bleached. Who knows? So, Matt, do you want to regale us with some of your fave scenes this week? I don't know whether I'm going to nick one of yours, but I, I think my favourite scene from um, Robert Two Zero is probably that first contact, that sequence. Oh, it's good. Because it's really good. It's it's I don't know whether it actually happened like that, but it's it's really mm. good in that it's a nicely shot sequence of some lads taking on APCs. I think as well that it's it's not only just them taking on the NPCs, it's the way that it's done. I also like Sean's narration. Yeah that is nice. In in the in the movie like there is a there is a constant narration where it's it's very much driven by bravado, um, mm. isn't it? His narration it's very gung ho, definitely. And he, he he talks about you know you might as well go at them. You know if anyone says they're scared they're not all that sort of thing. Like I, I had this written down for one of my fave bits as well. Um, if you don't mind me talking about it as well, not at all. You know when he says like oh yeah we we were we were getting ready. And you've got the guys on the mini-me's like checking their mini-me's over quickly. Mm-hmm. Opening up the feed trays, checking, making sure the belt's sat properly. You know, he's like, come on, come on. You know, they're all sort of like gearing themselves mm-hmm. up, which I quite, I think that's quite, 
you know, I've not been in contact myself, but I think that's something you'd probably do. Yeah, you, know, you definitely. And at the same time, Sean's like shouting, talk to me. Like, can you still yeah. see them yet? Yeah. You, know, you know, trying to keep that situational awareness. Yeah. And it's like, stand your ground, stand your ground, mm. all that sort of stuff. And people shout stand too, which is always nice to hear in films. I think there's just more military dialogue in Bravo Two Zero that helps it. Yes, and that might be that might be uh, an element of the writing styles between McNabb and Ryan. Yeah, well, well Greengrass wrote um, one that got away. Yes, so you know he maybe isn't going off of having written. I don't know at that point if he'd done any military movies. Um, but then again, Troy Kennedy Martin has coming from a. He's written Kelly's Heroes. Mm-hmm. He's written. Zed cars as well. So he's done like police shows. Men in the services sort of stuff. And plus he served himself, didn't he? Yeah, of course he did. So it, it comes through a lot more. And I think that, I, th- I don't know what will come, the conclusion we'll get to, but for me, it's why it's a stronger film. Hmm. You know, I'm just looking at it from a film point of view. I think it's a stronger movie. Whereas one that got away is possibly a stronger character study, I think. Yeah. Um, that's. I think that's how you can decompartmentalize them. Yeah, I think you're right there. Another great thing about that scene is that the, they they fan out into a firing line and they open mm. up. They they knock out the vehicles with the laws, um, and then they Sean basically McNabb basically decides that they're going to attack the um, the Iraqi position, which isn't shown at all in the one that got away. It's constantly it's breaking contact when it, when we're getting away from this, we're not going to yeah. attack. Yeah. Um, so they they basically they bound forward and what that means is it's firing maneuver some some of the lads are laying down cover while others are moving forward and they also shout like moving as well or coming of, through like, and kind of that kind of thing yeah. um yeah, and i think one of them one of them shouts out that he's he's reloading and, and that kind of thing and then there's also a nice bit where um i think I think the character's called vince and he tells him where to put the mini me it's like put the mini me here. It's like he's indicating where to like set up the mini me to yeah. to cover the the retreating Iraqis. Definitely, there's nice little little touches. I think that's my favourite action scene. We're talking a lot about Bravo Two Zero, but there is a lot more action in it. Also, there's bits towards the end where you know they where they meet contact at the checkpoint, mm. and then not only do they do that later on, they meet a little bit of contact when they're close to the Syrian border as well. Mm. So. You get a more you get a more accurate portrayal of what happened to them. The two and you see a lot more action. The two films sort of come back together at that checkpoint part. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they. Do. But they, they they differ on that as well. Differently, how it actually went mm. down. So with the one that got away, it's very chaotic and and I believe they have a, a, an Iraqi guy driving the cab still. Yeah, they do. So in in um in one that got away. They they they're trying they're sort of they're like, what do we do now what do we do now and then they see a car mm. and it's like really opportunistic and they 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 bundle they bundle into the car there's no one in there's no one in the taxi it's just the driver yeah. I think um, and then they get him to drive to the checkpoint as if they don't know where they are anymore which is a bit which is another weird thing so they're you know they're somehow convincing this man to drive them where they want to go yeah and then they're giving out map references and things but in Brothers Who Zero, they turf everyone out of the taxi and Sean, well, McNabb drives them to the checkpoint. So at least they get to the same place. It's just different means of doing it. But then I think me and you were chatting. We think, well, hang on. There's no way you'd allow a civilian to drive you to the Syrian border or at least to try and do that. No, because well, what would you have to gain by that? What would you, 
what would what, yeah what would you gain from it and two if they're sympathetic to the iraqi cause they just they could just drive you into a military re- checkpoint anyway yeah yeah so it, it doesn't make sense for me anyway that's just if someone looks like, into the car and sees a bunch of lads in in combats and and tooled up to the nines they're not going to go oh no it's fine they've got an iraqi driver yeah oh no they pay for their fare doesn't matter yeah it's a bit of an odd one i think for me at least mcnab driving to the checkpoint makes way more sense mm. um and then obviously they get found out and they you know they fight away it breaks up a little more in bravo two zero so it shows them shows two yeah. of them swimming the the euphrates i think it is yeah the euphrates river yeah well, one apparently one lad drowned doing that yeah well one of them is shown as as being hypothermic or dead or drowned i don't know he, he, he's they're in the bull rushes and that's it and they don't show that in um bravo um McNabb ends up in a drainage ditch sort of culvert and then he's found that's how he's found and he's found like that in um in both in uh one that got away as well yeah so it, it, at least that's accurate then they both agree that's how they were found so that's, that's something um but for me i I'll, I'll i something i like from one that got away and this was purely from like a, a movie a cinema goer's viewpoint rather than a mm. do i believe the truth it's where paul mcgann takes on an apc in a truck on his own he initially thinks that it's like a civilian truck yes he does i, remember, I, I know the one you mean and you get this little shot, it lingers on his face and his little face drops. And you're like, oh no, he knows it's he knows it's not civilian, it's an Iraqi truck. Oh no, what's he gonna do? Mm-hmm. Is he gonna run? Is he gonna stay? And he like, because he's Chris Ryan, ultra tough, badass Chris Ryan, he, he stands his ground and he frantically tries to load his M203 up. And then he sort of launches one of the, the truck and it hits and it's a big explosion. Yeah. And then somehow magic's up a law from absolutely nowhere. Yeah. Which is a bit where the fuck are you keeping that, mate? Um, is GTA did you know, like when in GTA, yeah, yeah it's, it's a video game trope right there. Yeah. Pull out a gun out of your pocket. He does that <laughs> with the law. You know, they they extend possibly. He could have had it in his. He could have had it in his smock. It's not put on. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Mm. So he pulls that out, knocks out the APC, and then casually walks around that and guns down everyone inside. And then there's one lad, and he's run out of ammo, and he runs at him with his with his stealth, with his little combat knife and, and takes him out. Mm. And it's such a one-man army trope. It's very much, look how cool the SAS are. Look what they can do. You know, look how much of an army man I am. I think in, in terms of cinema, it kind of, it's almost probably included to break up the monotony of watching Chris Ryan walk. I think it is. I think, because in, in that part of that movie, it's just Chris walking. Mm. So if he if he makes contact there, then that's another little action scene they can put in. Yeah. There's no way of knowing whether he actually did or not because no, there's not. No, and they, you know, there's loads of controversy over that anyway. Mm. Um, but it's not. Yeah, as a movie, it, it looked cool. You know, it's all shot at night. Yeah, the one that got away isn't afraid of doing um, night shots. No, not at all. And it uses it as a nice um, use of um, night vision as well. Yes. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It's really cool. But then I think it's probably the budget comes into play. Bravo Two Zero uses a lot more stock footage from the war. Mm. So it doesn't, you know, it doesn't need to get like it doesn't need to pay to have tornadoes flying in. It it shows you yeah. tornadoes flying in um in stock footage. And then it has BBC news reports. Obviously, that's where the BBC element comes in that they use news reports from the time to set context. Mm. So I quite liked 
I like Brotherhood Zero for the context it set up. Like it actually felt like I was in the Gulf War rather than one that got away, just sort of plonks you in and you're sort of meant to, re- you're meant to know that it's the Gulf War. And obviously me watching it a few weeks ago, not knowing, not knowing a hundred percent everything about the Gulf War. Cause I'm 27, you know, I wasn't born when it happened. It was nice to have that extra layer of, context that brother to zero gives because it makes the movie a, lo- a little bit more timeless yeah it does it does uh it does let someone who doesn't know the backstory of the war into the story a little bit yeah a bit more fluidly but part of that was it really for me i liked there were some like a bit gross out bits that were a little bit yeah odd. i mean that's the thing with brother to zero like that obviously Whereas the one that got away shows Ryan's escape, which is a phenomenal feat of you know endurance to, to incredible walk two hundred kilometers with basically no food or water, um, and I think McGann's performance is is quite quite powerful. You know he does sort of portray some of that um, the struggle and you know it must have been really really horrible walking across the desert on your own, knowing oh. that your mates yeah. could be dead. You know, yeah, yeah. and not knowing whether you're actually when you get to Syria, are they going to help you? Yeah, who are they going to even know what you're doing? Because there? you know, is the border a solid line? While you've got Ryan, the other side of of the coin is you have McNabb and the other prisoners that were taken, and that's mm. where Bravo Two Zero's final act is probably stronger, I would say, than the one that got away's. Yeah, no, I think it, it definitely it's got more to go on and yeah. I think that's what makes it stronger mm. you know to redeem sort of one that got away a little bit you do have Chris Ryan sort of breaking down mm. when the 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 Syrian farmer who does who helps him yeah he doesn't understand gives him British sovereign and he gets yeah. all offended because of it yeah he just doesn't know what to do with it does he not to do with it and then and then Chris Ryan sort of breaks down yeah I thought I like that because I was like oh god you know the man's finally cracked yeah and yeah in interviews since I've heard him talk about, you know, he he visualized his daughter talking to him. Right. That kind of thing, you know. Yeah. Which none of that makes it into the film. So I don't know whether that's something he only felt he could share later on. Or who knows? So we should probably talk a little bit about the, you know, the, the scenes uh where the McNabb and the other members of the patrol are basically an Iraqi prisoner in custody. Yeah. Yeah, they're very um they're very visceral, aren't they? As soon as as soon as McNabb's pulled out that call that he's beaten up. Oh yeah, yeah, they've all... And then by the time he gets to the prison, um, they're all in rough shape. And they're trying to force them, I think, to confess that they're Israeli. So they can use it against So they them. can use it against the coalition. No I'm British. I'm a, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just a, a sergeant. And no, the officers don't tell me what I'm doing. They don't tell me nothing. <laughs> I know we laugh about it, but it's um it's like I can feel for Sean because he's like getting absolute shit beaten out of him. So he's just trying to make him believe him. And it does. He would. Yeah. Exactly. That's ex- and he's basically trying to buy them time, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, he is. You know, and he, it's that old thing of like, you know, they need you for information. So they're not going to kill you. Whatever they do, they're not going to kill you, you know, because you haven't told them what they want to hear. But he, they, they make his time. They're pretty unpleasant. Oh, fucking hell. They pull his teeth out yeah. as well, don't they? The, there's a very shocking sort of like dentist scene where he's like are your, are your teeth still bothering you Andy and he's like yeah well this man's a dentist and then the he starts pulling his teeth yeah yeah that's 
He's like, I need him. I need him on his back. And you're like, fucking, what's he going to do? And they pull his tooth out. But then at the end of the film, his teeth are fine, which I thought was quite funny. But that's just that's just continuity. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's really horrible. Um, and to prove he is an Israeli, he goes, I can, I, within, you know, after like a good three or four days of torture, and he goes, I can prove I'm not Israeli. I'm not circumcised. That's it. So, you know, they have poor Sean pull his, his kex down, his trousers yep. down, and then they all laugh at him and he has a laugh. And it's a very odd, like, so it breaks the scene. It breaks attention. It does. Yeah. And then uh, the uh, the Iraqi secret police in, uh, in interrogator slaps Sean in the crotch <laughs> with, a, with a ruler yeah. or something. Yeah, and uh, and then we're straight back into the like, the visceral nature of the, that torture. I mean, I can get why he did it. Yeah, but like, come on, Sean, protect protect the crown jewels. Come on, son. <laughs> you know, Sean's getting the absolute shit beaten out of him. Mm. Then he sees his mates, and he and then he sort of realizes his mates are there with him. Mm. So he gets a boost from that. Yeah, and then they're talking at night. You know, and then the Iraqi guards like no talking, no talking. And it's like, but they don't come and do anything about them. I think no. it's quite funny. The guards are shown; it's a bit silly. One of my favourite scenes from that half of the film, or that that act of the film, is the one where um, I've forgotten the character's name, but he's brought in separately from the other lads on the back of a truck, and they have to drive through a family of the grieving, grieving, angry Iraqi family members, and they take him off the truck. Um, and he's basically thrown on the floor. Oh, that's the lad. That's um, that's Ray. Yes, that's called, that guy called Ray. Yeah. His catchphrase is "fucking outrageous." Fucking outrageous. Which is yeah. it's just great, and that's classic Troy Kennedy Martin, isn't it? One of the Iraqi fathers, the grieving father, comes through the checkpoint somehow, and he's beating him up. Yeah. Um, and he pulls out a Webley. Yeah. He pulls out an old Webley, and he's gonna he he's does. gonna shoot him. And the secret police basically pull the Webley off him and take him take him back outside. Like, but then you get the weird thing in Bravo Two Zero with the Pope. Oh yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a Pope plays a, a weirdly prominent role in this film. But there's a scene at the beginning before the uh, the, the first contact, where I think it's Vince and he's having a shit. I see Australian guy. Ah, uh, so oh, is it Vince that helps him? Vince might have helped him. Anyway, yeah. someone helps the Australian guy have a shit and it's he's he's doing it into a bag and i assume that's because they don't want to leave anything behind which is fair enough they don't leave a trace of themselves which makes and there's there is a funny part where they, like they've put his shit in someone else's bag yeah and he's like carry your own shit <laughs> that <short> thing? yeah <laughs> um but then later on it's kind of mirrored that I, i'm maybe i'm reading too much into that cinematically but perhaps it's mirrored later on where, where Sean is having to do some pretty horrific things in an Iraqi latrine in order to get Ray his fags. That's weird, that whole bit. Yeah, I think it's, for me, it was just showing the, like their ordeal. Mm. But it, as of, like, as a, like, the way the scene was played out, it went a little bit too much into it. Like the guards saying, oh no, Andy, you're not finished. Yeah, he's gone from singing... Daddy cool. Daddy cool to lick yeah. the shit off your fingers, Andy. It, yeah. That was, it's an odd exchange. It's weird. But then it, it conspires that Andy's only done all that so he can get fags for his mate. Yeah. Like you said. So it's sort of, it's like, oh, you know, look how much they went through, mm-hmm. but they still were mates and yeah. they still will do things for each other that they might not want to do, but that's what the SAS do mm-hmm. sort of thing. Yeah. Well, that's what I assumed it was for, but it was just weird, wasn't it? 
it or you know yeah it's it's bodily fluids it's, in movies let's not let's absolutely not. gross yeah. disgusting but then sean's really but then andy mcnab's really flipping about it. well to look shit off me hands for your fags yes he is that's horrific what are you doing <laughs> it's fucking horrific oh my god it's just so gross but i mean i haven't read andy mcnab no i've not so I, it's probably in the book but i don't know um but yeah, if anyone's got the book, look up in the back and if, look up in the index and see where it says poop. <laughs> God. But I, I did read online that some of the some of the other sources that have commented on their treatment. Maybe that's why it's called Bravo Two Zero, because it's number two. Oh my god. <laughs> Sorry. Continue, please. Um <laughs> fucking hell. To contradict some of the scenes with the torture, um, I did read on couple of websites how mm. there was contradicting sort of accounts of how badly they were treated and tortured and whether yeah. whether it went beyond just you know like roughing them up and you know beating the shit out of them basically you know there's stuff from the, the red cross and such about what their condition was when they were repatriated yeah, whether they were actually roughed up as much and all that again it's just the nature of these two films and that you would probably we, we just aren't going to know how would chris know how Andy got back and how would Andy know how Chris got back? Mm, it's sort of, mm. you know, each man can say that what they want because they were there and the other man wasn't. And I think that's half the issue this move, these movies have, you know, there isn't one, there might be a narrative that someone's written from a completely objective point of view, but that's not got a movie about it. Yeah. So what can, you can't do anything with it. Can you? They're both massively contrasting films in their approach, tone, and budget, obviously, and what they're yeah. aiming for. So I think with, with Greengrass is the one that got away, the portrayal is a lot more arty, and that's necessitated by probably the narrative that he constructed around uh, Ryan's account mm. and partially, po- possibly some artistic choice. I think so, because there's that whole section where he encounters the checkpoint that's been shot up mm. and he imagines it like all exploding and runs off yeah and that's a bit of an odd scene because it's not it's not shown as a dream sequence but it, it could be mm. it's very confusing i just got a problem i just don't know i think i said earlier like that's a character study of chris ryan's endurance yes and brother two zero is action movie with enduring a torture torture's yeah off. Clegg's approach to Bravo 20 is much more um straightforward yeah action movie with some of you know the the character elements being driven by uh, Troy Kennedy Martin's dialogue and they both kind of portray the uh you know the the struggle and fortitude of their main characters in that mm. we're seeing Paul McGann's Chris Ryan struggled to cross the desert on his own sure you know 200 kilometers no food no water so that's a yeah. that's a you know a human uh sort of human fortitude story in that respect and then with sean bean's andy mcnab portrayal he's being tortured so he's having to have that resilience and that yeah that's in, that it, struggle within that's it similar similarities yeah but then i i don't know i just think bravo 20 for me is the better film 
because it it's what more watchable like the person the director knows how tv movies work because he's done sharp he's done the sweeney you know he knows how long form tv content yeah has to gra- grab the viewer like i I wanted to sit and watch Brother Two Zero the whole way through. Whereas when I was watching one that got away, I was glancing at my phone because for me, every single, like every single shot lingered just a bit too long. Like I was skipping forward 10 seconds on my video, like getting to the next scene sometimes. Robbie's like, short attention span strikes well, no, again. It was just because, oh, <laughs> here comes loads of trucks and here comes Chris looking at the trucks. Well, this, this sequence is going to go on. Like I, know, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. Um, and I think, I, I think, I did myself skip ahead a little bit in places. I think that's where Greengrass is trying to get over his like vision because he wants mm-hmm. it to be like, look at the distances, look at the the impossibility of it all. Whereas Brother to Zero is like action, getting to the checkpoint, torture, home. Yeah. It's very much bang, bang, bang. Whereas there's a clear narrative path. Yeah. Which I th- I think the story of Bravo to Zero the way that they've portrayed it is probably a better story. It has more elements that they can work with. It's very difficult to make, not to say that directors and and films haven't accomplished it, you know, um, with other similar films where there's a a lone individual struggling to overcome or travel a long distance, because there are films that do that very, very well. Well, like how the the first Rambo is like cited for being actually quite a really well-made movie these days. Mm. Whereas, like, you know, the later ones are really gun ho, but then people see the first round, but like, oh, actually, no, he is like an actual character with an actual. Yeah. And, and, and the second one, too, where, he, you know, uh, where he goes to that small American town. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, that's sort of the way that, like, this, the one that got away sort of shows it. It's like, you know, look at, look at how one man can do this. Whereas, Brother Two Zero is look at how a group of men can get through this. And I think it just comes down to, one whose story you prefer and, and and two whether you prefer lone wolf or you prefer unit action i also think it depends on the viewer and what they're wanting as well yeah so as always our opinions are subjective one of the things we like about the, the podcast is that you guys share your opinions with us via twitter and and in the comments and if you you know if you've seen both I mean, let us know because we really love we really love to know what you think because this is this is one of the first movies or sets of movies that we've done where there is genuine conjecture, genuine controversy, and and it's the yeah it's the first attempt where we've tried to compare. Yeah, and I, I hope you'll think we've done a good job. Um, we might have gone a bit too Bravo Two Zero heavy, but I think it's because we might have personally enjoyed them a bit more. I know that I did. I I enjoy I enjoy Paul McGann's performance more than i enjoy the movie i think yeah he's good the movie's not great sorry paul uh, i think that's fair to say um so i enjoy the more ensemble nature of bravo to zero mm-hmm. which makes sense because obviously troy kennedy martin knows how to do an ensemble piece yes he's done the italian job he's done kelly's hero it makes sense that he can do a group of men and not sort of lose any of them in in the sort of telling of this of the narrative whereas within Greengrass's movie i feel like we don't really get to know some of the members of the patrol at all yeah they were a bit they're throwaway a little bit and i i it almost feels like when you watch it they it feels like they just got a group of lads and put them together 
like they, they, none of them really knew each other even though some of them are, are recognizable faces they're not necessarily recognizable names mm. shall we say yeah the actors yeah it's it's interesting where both movies end with McNabb, but they end with McNabb in completely different circumstances yeah so at the end of Bravo to zero they it shows them getting home and there's a little bit of uh a voiceover again from a bit of narration from from sean bean McNabb, and he's he's he talks about um the uh, psychiatrists talking to them all asking whether you know they've got ptsd and he and he sort of like jokes that the 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 psychiatrists were more strung out than we were that kind of thing yeah well it's clear that i think all of them have suffered since like that that bravado was gulf war syndrome's a bit a big issue wasn't it coming from that war mm. um but yeah, and then obviously in one that got away, it shows McNabb in the in the prison, sort of rotting away, as a sort of like, oh look at this emasculated man now, you know, look at how he's fallen, which is sort of I think that's how it portrays him. I think it's I don't think it portrays him fairly, whereas I think Brother Two Zero does, and I think only by watching the both you can sort of come to that conclusion. And I think it's telling that these two movies are basically the own, only British portrayal of the Gulf War in film there aren't that many gulf war movies as it is so maybe with the 30th anniversary hopefully we might get one get get a, a, a dramatization of, of that those experiences um you know because the 30th anniversary has definitely brought it to the fore and that's why we thought we'd cover them on this pod yeah i mean it made complete sense that we'd try and tackle these two together and but I mean, it's only one tiny aspect of that war. I mean, it was a very short actual, you know, ground war, a uh, few days. hundred hour. Yeah, exactly. Hour. Um, but it just made sense that we try and look at something from the period because um, it's in danger of becoming one of those forgotten conflicts, I think. So, yeah, on that note, I think we'll we'll wrap it up a bit. Yeah. Thank you for joining us, guys definitely uh, interact with us on Twitter at Fighting on Film. Leave a like, a review on whatever you're listening to and we'll catch you in the next one. Bye guys, catch you later. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.